We're back. <laughs> Welcome back. Hi. There has been a good amount of outpouring on the Twitters. It's weird to remember that does get a good amount of attention and interest, uh, and people therefore can give feedback and or comments. Uh, so it was nice that everybody chimed in. Uh, we're still looking for artwork. I think I might just take <laughs> the Frogger avatar from Twitter and just... Oh, we'll have to come up with something custom. Come on. I, I don't know. That's a pretty deep rune you have of you know ancient <laughs> symbology in there. So uh, I'm not sure that we will need much better, but if folks have something that they want to share with us, uh, please get at us through the regular channels. We had a review that was particularly uh, interesting. Uh, a Lynn L. Malin on the Twitters said, gave it a listen, and Penny said, is that daddy? Turn him off. I don't understand him. <laughs> to which uh, Miss Malin chimed in, you're adoring public, age four. <laughs> now, m my response to this was, is your wife a recursive acronym for you? Are you like a child process of that master process? Uh, no, I mean, uh, actually, when we got married, her last name was Lynn Lee. So I, I just joke that she dropped a syllable in there somewhere. I, I simplified things. I didn't make it more complex. <laughs> uh, I hear that you have a, a audience uh, that are cheering for you. <laughs> they're actually cheering Yoshi's Woolly World uh, on the Wii U. We just got that, and they're having a blast. Which is totally not a euphemism for anything, okay? No. <laughs> I only have made fun of Nate Walk uh, for that just once so far. Mm. So. <laughs> there are things happening. Another thing as of last week that is most important for us to get to right off the bat is that Piker Alpha had some great news. Yes. The update we got was Home Sweet Home. He is not on the brink of death. He's on the road to recovery. Yay. And things looked like they could not have turned out better in that he may have seen the stuff that was causing his eyesight to well, go. it sounded like his mom actually caught it, and she was uh, very adamant about what it was in the face of what the doctors were saying, which I'm very thankful for. And we're just, you know, happy to have more updates and Godspeed, as they say. Mm -hmm. and, and we're just happy to be able to share that with you. So, other follow-up that we had from last week. Silver Searcher. It seems that... It, they invite the comparison to Ack, not Grep. Right, and and so let me clarify that a little bit. So, Ack, think of that as the tool that came before Silver Searcher. The the the, the sales pitch for Ack was that it's better than Grep, and so Silver Searcher, in saying that it's better than Ack, is implying it's like a whole order of magnitude better than there you go than Grep. Silver Searcher gives respects to its forebearers. Uh, but will beat their pants off. <laughs> uh, and then Class Dump did not get as much stage time, not get as much airtime last uh, episode. Which is unfortunate, because it's a really excellent tool. Uh, it, it basically, what I find myself using it for primarily is that you can throw it at a uh, framework and or a library, and it will basically generate for you the the header files for 
all the Objective C objects with inside that inside that framework. So essentially, it'll create documentation for you of things that are undocumented. Especially very useful when you use them against like OS ten private frameworks. You run it against that, and suddenly you get the header files showing you these are all the methods that you can call, these are all the classes that are available, and it gives you some little insight into, okay, if I was going to write code using this undocumented private framework, here's what I would reference, here's what I would use. It's very invaluable. Hopper, when you're reverse engineering a framework, will give you the same things as you're going, but to be able to just generate that document all in one go so you can see all the things and just look through the list and go, ooh, that looks like something I'd probably want to play with. That's really handy tool to have. Versus something like Ida. That's just another, like, I mean, <laughs> I say another. That's that's a, a really excellent tool, but but it's, again, more on the decompiling side of things. It's like in addition to everything else, it also happens to do that kind of thing. Like class dump is just a very focused, essentially a documentation generating tool. Very handy. So more surgical Absol- class dump is the more precise and or limited scope approach. Yeah. yeah. It's basically if you're about to dive into something and go, this looks like a huge framework full of a lot of stuff. I don't really know what pieces I would use. You fire off class dump against it, and suddenly you essentially have the index table of like all the stuff that it can do, and and you just go, oh, okay, and it and it groups them all together. So if there's something like a class has 27 methods sprinkled throughout a framework or something like that, it'll put it together into a header file for here's the class and all the things that this class does, and very 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 handy. Yeah, the thing that I'm going to continue to be kind of miffed, I I don't have much of an in on when it comes to learning is the options that you can pass to a framework through across the PyObjective-C bridge in particular, where there's just, okay, like, just pass a null in there. No, 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 it's cool. Like, <laughs> like we'll, we'll just skip over that part for now. And it, it needs these four, though, because otherwise you get nothing. Right. And, and, and that's unfortunately one of those things that, now, like, Swift um, APIs are more explicit in that regard like the, you can actually declare an argument as nullable like that it is acceptable to pass null to this particular argument whereas objective c you just have to know and in in documented frameworks that's great because it says you can pass null to this argument but in every other like if you're diving and 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 pulling apart stuff using class dump all you get is you know you have arguments of this type and this one can take a dictionary, and it's your guess as to whether or not null is valid for that particular argument. So, yeah, yeah, it, it gets hard. It gets really hard. The number of arguments you need to pass, what you should be able to expect back if you do do the magic incantation, that's the type of thing where I always kind of just got to respect the masters and, and get back to my books. <laughs> uh, grasshopper, take, take the stone from my hand. <laughs> the thing that comes to mind when you're talking about Diving in private frameworks, helping a certain gentleman. (laughs) I I, uh, have to say by law that I do not have anything against (laughs) AppleScript or Ben. I mean, how could I not love Ben? He categorized (laughs) me as a panto villain uh, in our slides from uh, PSU Mac admins uh, over the summer. But you did actually (laughs) employ class dump in a recent jaunt in helping him he was actually trying to learn python yeah yeah 
it's probably like a really good time for him to make that jump considering what he was trying to do because his big stuff that he's got is like the the auto nbi stuff especially for like casper and whatnot these very wonderful tools but yeah the, the core of them are all object uh, of apple script and when you start trying to do things with apple script that are complex that might require calling like an api or something uh that's not easy in in apple script and and it's really hard when what you're trying to call is like a private framework that you can't even import into apple script uh even through apple script objective c which is a thing <laughs> but uh yeah so we we were looking at um he basically wanted to so in his existing code that he's got it's this so so say, say you want to make an uh, an image that that sets the internationalization options like the keyboard layout and all that kind of stuff that code is carbon based it goes back to like os9 like pre os10 stuff and it's got all these hard coded constant integers like negative numbers positive numbers there's no correlation or understand it's not even like one two three it's like eleven thousand three hundred and fifty one negative twenty seven thousand seven hundred and two you know that you sank my scrabble no pattern in other words pretty much <laughs> but, but 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 you need those numbers because that's the values that the operating system is looking for as to which keyboard layout you've chosen they're just these ancient things that have not gone away yet and we were diving into, there's a private framework called the um, Setup Assistant private framework. And it has, you can do cool things. Like you can say, give me the most common uh, keyboard layouts for this uh, nation or this this language. And it, those are the types of things, like, like when you do the Setup Assistant, it looks at your physical keyboard that you're on currently and shifts to the top of the list of all the possible countries you could pick, the most common countries that likely have your keyboard. Like, that's that code is in there. But if you want to try and tap into it from AppleScript, good luck. It's almost Perl-like, and it's, oh, my thing is like this. That's how it builds <laughs> up data structures. And I'm kind of like, Perl gets a bad rep. But the fact that he was trying to... <laughs> it was impressive. You know, the thousands of lines of code that have gone well, into well, and that's the thing. That's, that, that's what he was trying to fix was that if you looked at his code it was literally a if else list like if this then that if this then that like it was a it was like a 300 line if else statement for all the different countries just to get those numbers and yet the code is there that you just you know throw the country at it and it returns the number and so he's like, maybe this is a good time to start learning Python. <laughs> Among understatements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I got to root for him. I, I got to cheer him on. Uh, and he seems to be uh, in the thick of it, the fact that <laughs> there's so much code right there already. Yeah, All you need to do yeah. is tap into it, and then you can actually work with real data structures. Yeah, that's probably the failing point of Bash and uh, also AppleScript. Uh, is that uh, actual useful data structures like dictionary, you know, key value indexes, stuff that you can really build some core logic of, of useful programs around. Very easy in other languages, not so much in Bash, not so much in AppleScript. <laughs> I mean, braver than I to have gotten that far <laughs> into it and decided to 
turn back towards the light. <laughs> well, and, and hopefully in Ben's case, maybe this is the grand turning point, the the, the start of an illustrious career writing many a, a, a Python-based tool for the future. Hopefully. Casablanca <laughs> title cards come up in the background, yes. Uh, so there are things that we all kind of think we know about Frogger. There are things that he is used and abused for uh, time and time again where when people are kind of like, I should really kind of know how it is on the Windows side so that when these people <laughs> come to me and ask me to make it look like it is on the Windows side, I have some frame of reference, uh, we end up picking <laughs> picking your brain. Uh, where did you, what, what was your entry por- point into Windows land? Uh Initially, it was a job that I had quite some time ago where I was actually working for an internet service provider, uh, and it was a from-home support job, and uh, it was for a retirement community where the people that you talked to on the other end of the line had anything from, uh, oh, let's see, I think there were some System 7 people that I was out there, and then uh, Windows 98, maybe 95 even once in a while. And uh, so that was like my initial exposure to just getting into, you know, helping people with Windows. But um, the, the real meat of it was actually uh, working for the state of Washington. The job that I had there for the Department of Social Health Services, they, uh, I started out, I, I just got in my foot in the door working for the, um, the wiring team that did all the network gear for all their facilities. And uh very shortly thereafter, landed a job in the desktop team for essentially the executive core of the uh, department. And man, uh, talk about diving in headfirst. That was probably where I picked up like the bulk of the 90% and the things that really matter, which is that last 10%, that last 1%. That's where it's like being in the trenches. You see, (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's where you see the weird things that no one else sees and you go, wow, okay. I came up with a solution for that. And you start building up that catalog of, of, of knowledge that is really what differentiates you from just your basic entry help desk person. That's where you're building essentially what becomes those three ring binders that they hand to the people on the phones, right? Like, Oh, you've run into this. Then you need this solution. That, that, that's how those those knowledge bases get built is just literally being in the trenches, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week plus just supporting people who are, oh God, I don't know what the hell they're doing to those Windows machines, but you see some really serious stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, home state of Microsoft, everything we had was primarily Windows. Now, we had some Mac stuff, too, but that really wasn't what I was actually hired for in that particular position. Um, uh, the Mac stuff just turned out to be a bonus. The, the Mac users there, they literally had no support. And they were like, oh, my gosh, there's a guy who knows Macs here. Uh, let's, thank you. Yay. One of us. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I um, built up most of my Windows body of knowledge working those uh, positions over there and then eventually transferring over to their enterprise infrastructure team where that's uh, where I – really was diving into like SCCM and like mass management of Windows devices. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't treat the body of knowledge that I have for Windows any differently than I have for the Mac side of things. I just, what people ask, like, where did you find out about all this kind of stuff? And I just, you just got to do the job. You know, it, 
if you're doing it full time, at some point you're going to pick stuff up. I think I probably have the advantage in that I seem to have a good sense of being able to retain the knowledge about the really weird stuff, which is really handy. Um, but but it, yeah, it, you just got to put in the time. I think, wow, I, I was almost eight years at the state when I left there. So yeah, do Windows support for seven or eight years and, and you probably pick up some stuff. Oh. Which seems weird for, like, all the Mac people who are probably listening to this, like, oh, this poor guy. No, I mean, there's a lot of consultants that know they need to be cross-platform. So was yeah, it, like, a Cat 3 time that you had come in, or was the, the state of Washington, <laughs> like, well, and was that was in the past? Uh, okay, so uh, they were on XP, but then who wasn't at that point in time? But I did run into an OS two machine and uh there's a windows 98 machine elsewhere in the building so i i i I came in post token ring but uh pre (laughs) pre pre vista i guess in their era of of usage they they yeah so uh one thing that was was really interesting doing the windows side of things i think is that there might be some people who have like a fear essentially of like, yeah. see, I, I looked at the job as it, it's an opportunity to get paid basically because windows support it's, you know, windows machines are everywhere. It's a very, very portable job. It's actually really unfortunately difficult to find a decent Mac uh, administration job. If you're not like in the heart of San Francisco or something like that, um, it, it's just not as widespread, especially outside of the United States. And so the Windows uh, skill set, like picking up that, working that, I, I I really appreciated that because it was this whole other body of knowledge that up until that point, I really didn't have any depth on. And to be able to gain that and then still retain the Mac side of things, I, I felt very fortunate because now I've got, you know, both of these bodies of knowledge and, and also the interconnected pieces of it because we had Macs that we're working in a primarily Windows-dominated environment. And that's actually a very sellable business skill because you have those Windows shops where people have like a, uh, oh, the CEO got an iPhone and an iPad and they really like these things. And now they're asking about getting a couple Macs on the network. And you have these people who've never dealt with that before or a Mac admin who's being brought in to manage the brand new Macs that they just got for their totally Windows environment and going, oh my God, the file shares aren't working, you know, DNS and DHCP records, what the heck's going on there, you know, all this stuff to actually be able to practically deal with that kind of stuff. I'm very thankful for that. And it's just, you had to, I had to put effort into the Mac side of things to not let that like waste away basically like i couldn't go dive off into windows land and then suddenly forget everything about mac i I love the mac side of things and so uh, i i just my free time was in that like going to the conferences and stuff like that 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 was all out of pocket for me the state was not paying for any of that and so um but yeah to, to be able to actually get paid to develop that depth of knowledge on the windows side of things i i really did enjoy it actually it's one of those things that i think a lot of macs Mac admins, they are a little fearful of because it's totally different environment. It's night and day different environment is like the imaging, you know, drivers. Oh my God. All these third party manufacturers, as far as, you know, you look at the Apple side of things, you're like, Oh no, the OS has a fork in it. And I've got two. Builds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cry me a river. Versus like the windows. Yeah, exactly. Versus like the windows side of things. Like, 
uh, we bought these really cheap $300 laptops from China or something like that, and we're trying to get it to run Windows 7. It only says works for XP on the sticker. Can you figure out how to do that? Thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, to, to just be exposed to the tool sets that are involved in there, it, it was really cool. I, I really did enjoy the time that I had doing that. I used to say that Apple cheats, considering they do make the hardware and software stack, but they there's a comprehensiveness there where you can depend on them wanting to make a well-integrated experience. Now, mm -hmm, Microsoft mm -hmm. is essentially vendoring the stack. Yeah, they're, they're basically going down the same road as Apple at this point. Now, but from a, you know, a 2006, 2007 perspective. Oh, yeah, up until of, then, yeah. This, like the, at the login window, when it would say, do you want to kick in dial-up networking? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. That was so bizarre to me because I was like, but what does the login window have to do with dial-up? Like, what does that even mean? And I had no idea about VPNs at that point. I had no idea about, you mm -hmm. know, what the type of tunneling could be. Uh, and Microsoft was making that a slam dunk at that time. Uh, they were really on, uh, on a roll when it came to giving you this integrated solution from an enterprise perspective. Oh, yeah, Apple yeah. was giving you an integrated solution from a hardware software works together and, and you get a great experience at the individual. A personal computing experience. Yeah, definitely. The old PC. Yeah, no. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that, that that was one thing that was really eye-opening. Working in the Windows uh, tech environment was essentially the the vast, vast array of tools that are available from a Windows management standpoint. And you just come back and look at the Mac side of things, and oh my gosh, you're like, what? I mean, I, I appreciate it from a security standpoint because that means that there's less hooks for people to get their handles on the operating system like come in from the outside a mac out of the box is not listening for a lot of these external commands but that means that a mac out of the box is also a pain in the butt <laughs> to manage compared to a windows machine um and and yeah and 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 so to see all that kind of stuff and uh that, that i think that's probably actually one of the reasons that i really liked writing code on the mac side of things because participating in projects there, we're, we're making the tools that are lacking that Windows has from Microsoft, essentially. And it's an exciting time to be involved in the Mac admin side of things. But yeah, totally. Uh, Windows has the concept of enterprise down. Apple is getting there. They're working on it. They're getting there. But they have their own take on it. I mean, we just had the... Um, the reverse engineering of the uh, MDM uh, specification for doing pa over-the-air package installation. That, that, that's Apple's idea of enterprise, is that you do DEP, you do device enrollment with your, you know, your Macs and your iOS devices. They report into an MDM, and the MDM tells the computer what to do. It, it's like a feature of the operating system. And Microsoft said, oh, you need this giant tool set <laughs> to tell Windows machines what to do. You know, you need a, a giant Active Directory with group policy, or you need SCCM, or you need something like that. And, and, and Apple had a different take on it. And the funny thing is, Microsoft is starting to agree with Apple on some of this stuff. Windows 10 actually has something very similar to mobile config profiles for, for OS 10. 
where there are these files that you can push down onto a Windows 10 machine that tell it what to do. Hmm. So, yeah, it, Apple's taking their time, but but the way they're doing it, very interesting approach. Uh, there is a lot of strangeness around, well, like, for example, Dell and Lenovo have had the issue where they've been oh, they've gosh. been caught uh, red-handed putting certs that it can unfortunately be used by attackers and on yeah. top of the fact that hey why do you feel the need to be able to uh, set up your own CA on my machine you're the hardware supplier you're not ensuring the integrity of the software and the entire and oops, stack. We happen to put, oops, we happen to put the private key right on your computer, and now everybody has it. <laughs> That's just Keystone Cops type crap. I mean, <laughs> it was bad. It was really whiskey bad. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> uh, and a post just the other night by Tom Lemoncelli, he said, "Yeah, but I I don't really care about that. I this." blog is for large installation system administrators and what do we do we better believe that we can get it back to a known good state really darn fast it's called imaging we've done it for years and years and years and years and ibm would disagree with him perhaps because they believe that you know it's it's a good idea to put a slip of paper into a box before you ship it to a customer but imaging would be they they said it would be a non-starter being able to do the scaled rollout that they've done, even though that scaled rollout means that they could have slipped Apple an image, they are more interested in going with Apple's, you know, way of doing things, drinking that Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're trying to go into that new philosophy of management. More power to them if they can, if that's what gets their job done. Uh, the time will tell. Yeah about how much their security, compliance, intellectual property departments decide that this was the way that they should have gone all along. But yeah, Windows is, is an entirely different thing when it comes to how you can kind of be led down a path. There are very defined roles within these certification setups, within the, they help define some of the terms. And now it's almost like the outsourcers can look at those same things and kind of be like, oh, well, maybe we fit in here, there, and the other place. I come from consulting where you want this person there and you want to choke this one neck. (laughs) You want this, you want one person to be responsible for your entire world, whereas a large organization, they don't want to they want it to be as commodity as possible. They want to be able to just swap things in and out. Oh, yeah, you want off the shelf. Yeah, you you, you want your software interchangeable and your employees, which is not the best for, for job security. Great for job opportunity, but but uh, from a long-term viability standpoint, yeah, uh, the, the, the companies tend to invest in uh, the known name, the known solution, and... and uh, with the goal that oh so and so left we just put out a hiring for you know this terminology this tool or whatever and there's uh, you know a hundred people knocking down the door that no say I can do that yeah I mean I won't go down that road of the way that people can be replaceable when they don't want to move above a certain skill level but uh, there is that way that Microsoft at least kind of helped define what the terms could be what the landscape could look like in the way of job titles and hierarchy 
uh, that maybe we should just be, I don't know, sysadmins, and mm -hmm. maybe we should just show creative thinking about computer science problems, uh, and not necessarily just about what that tool is going to provide for them. I mean, OS2 people, <laughs> high demand. <laughs> specialize, they say. In a, in a downward job market, specialize. <laughs> you, you know, you joke about that. <laughs> but at like a federal government level, or like the, there's certain sectors of the market that if you've got those ancient, ancient skills on demand, uh, you do not lack for a job. We're running AIX. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It gets our job done. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was a, a dip of a toe. There, there is probably going to be things that we can unpack from there. The, the SCCM part, uh, as we just started to disdain tools and, in general, uh, <laughs> it, it still is a concept of that evolved out of somewhere. Uh, and so I'm interested in that, but, you know, uh, we got time. We'll, we'll revisit it at some point. <laughs> Switching gears again. <laughs> so there is a bunch of things that uh, there are late night gists that are posted <laughs> and murmurs around, hey, go into IRC or hey, go into Slack and, and check out what's happening there. Uh, knowledge is being dropped. You got served. <laughs> uh, there's a, a dance battle of epic proportions going on. Uh, and most recently that I can recall of a particularly contentious one when it comes to we all as a community kind of needed a problem solved was when Greg Nagel the Bagel wanted to be able to retain HTTP functionality within Monkey, but there were complications that came with 10.11's feature called App Transport Security. Uh, so what was your perspective on that? So uh, Monkey as a tool essentially is all in on on Python and specifically the Python that ships with OS X. There's a lot of power in that choice in that it's compatible right out of the box with a Mac, but you don't need to install anything other than the Monkey uh, tool set itself, but there's no dependencies outside of Monkey. It's, it's, it just needs Python essentially. And Unfortunately, with uh, El Capitan, um, the app transport security uh, kind of threw uh, a, uh, a wrench in that, a monkey wrench. Uh, <laughs> squeak, <sorry>. squeak, monkey, <laughs> monkey. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, app transport security, if you're not familiar with it, it it's, it's basically Apple is really doubling down on the concept of encryption and privacy, and they want to make it that if any applications are using their APIs for doing uh, basic web communications uh, over HTTP, that uh, unless the developer specifies otherwise, the default is that it will actually uh, uh, require encrypted communication uh, using their APIs. And with Monkey 2... We uh, actually had an external dependency, which was uh, curl, the, the curl binary, which uh, at one point broke uh, in that it couldn't handle um, client certificates properly. You couldn't basically pass a certificate to a web server and say, prove who you were, essentially. And, and Apple really didn't 
uh, respond to Curl being broken uh, quite rapidly enough. Essentially, they, they, they didn't care. They said, if you care, use our APIs for doing web communication. Don't use Curl. Curl just happens to be part of OS X, but it's not something that's part, you know, core to the operating system. So Monkey 2 went all in and, and started using their APIs. And then it kind of bit us in the butt with El Capitan because those same APIs that, that Monkey went and used became restricted by this new app transport security. And the reason for that is because Apple makes their distribution of Python that they ship with OS X. It is the Apple flavor of Python. Um, it is not from python.org. It's not a standard Python install. It's got extra bits in there. One of my favorite bits that it includes is the, the PyObjective-C, uh, the objects at uh, OBJC. Obj-C. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Module. That's a third-party module. That doesn't come from python.org. That's not part of the language. But Apple has decided to bundle it with the operating system. Because Apple ships their own flavor of Python with OS X, they get to make the call as to whether that flavor of Python is uh, restricted by app transport security. There's literally there, uh, there's an info p list. There, there's, a, there's a file under the system folder that the setting could be in there. The, Apple could put the setting right in there that says app transport security off, basically, like everything is excluded, but they don't. And that location is under the system folder, which, as we know, in El Capitan, system integrity protection, you can't mess with that. So suddenly, Monkey was no longer able to do HTTP uh, communications. It was actually, get, it, initially in the betas, it was warning you that this is going to get blocked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in the final version of El Capitan, yeah, got blocked. And so we had to figure out, okay, so the place where you would put that setting in is protected by SIP. <laughs> How do we change that setting? <laughs> and, and and so uh, it's a nasty hack. It's a really nasty hack. Uh, basically, before you before you get there, you also <laughs> gave some background of how you kind of got knee deep in the monkey implementation of doing network traffic. That originally was probably doing URL lib two or something like that. Well, no, it was actually a lot of curl. Actually, it was it was really direct curl. Yeah, just direct curl or wrapping curl. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was wrapping curl for a lot of stuff because. Uh, attempting to do um, uh, uh, certificates, like if you wanted to do encrypted uh, communications, mm -hmm. URL lib2, trying to get it to pass a client certificate to a server that will only talk to certain clients, oh my gosh, no, don't even bother. And Open um, Transport came along as Apple's flavor right. of essentially a replacement to OpenSSL, was that? Uh, open transport, yeah, it's, it's a whole uh, library of functions for doing uh, encrypted communications, essentially, like, yeah, open SSL. And that's actually how curl broke, was that Apple was trying to uh, patch curl to use open transport, which sounds great in practice, but in reality, it mm -hmm. broke the functionality. Like, it worked for certain things, but the thing that Monkey really cared mm. about using it for at least certain people using Monkey anyways, it broke that. And and so uh, that was where it, a lot of thought went into, okay, how much, how, how can we prevent this in the future, uh, which is namely that uh, 
if Monkey started using more of the APIs that OS X and Safari and, you know, the, the operating system itself relies on, chances are Apple's going to keep those working. <laughs> right. And it might be easier to troubleshoot from a holistic perspective of you might not know how Monkey works. You may not know that your certs are great because you know about validation or you know about chain of trust and you know about you know, intermediate CAs and all that. But if you can open it in Safari... Exactly, yeah, yeah. By, that's a pretty good indication. Yeah, by using the same APIs, uh, it opened up this new diagnostic method, which is essentially, if it works in Safari, then it should work for Monkey because they're using the same code base. That was the girl uh, which, time. <laughs> yeah, the... Hey, girl. Yeah, yeah that was... <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, where, where a lot of new code was written uh, that came out with that. And and also change how we handled um, uh, how Monkey handles uh, certificates. Where um, before they were separate PEM files, now Monkey actually imports them into a Monkey specific keychain. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of changes happened in that. That was the off road from the off ramp from just using your own built version of curl to using the system frameworks, right? Yeah, yeah. We had an there was an intermediate patch, which was basically an option that you could provide to a monkey client that said, uh, you instead of the curl that ships with the operating system, use it at this other location instead. Um, and, um, that was, yeah, an intermediate fix. Basically, if you found yourself in the situation where you needed to do client certificates, you could just ship your own version of curl on your machines like homebrew or whatever, and, uh, and use that or Mac ports or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. Hannes Utelanian had his own auto package recipe for just that flavor of curl. And of course, Sam Keeley, mm -hmm. uh, who likes, you know, bespoke, you know, artisanal, ways of building packages <laughs> he he had is use mac ports on the oldest machine you have to support and yeah. that's how you should generate the package and oh trust me the the bouquet that comes off of it is amazing <laughs> um but so that was before we we're using it. and what is the native framework that we were able to transition to or api it's it's all the um nsurl nsurl NS yes. connection apis it's it's literally the same um, the the same API calls that WebKit uh, the 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 backend of Safari uses to to make uh, network connections out to web servers. So now the main event we have a whole five and a half minutes rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that hack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, NS bundle, which is is. Uh, a class that you use to load the the bundle information. The, the the bundle is so like if you look at a at an OS 10 application, the bundle is the entire thing. It's actually a folder that just ends in .app at the end of it. Uh, the the actual code and all the resources are inside that folder. And if you've never seen it before on the Mac, you can just uh, either uh, two finger click, control click, right click, whatever you want on any particular app, and you could say show package contents and see all the bits that are inside. And one of the bits that's inside there is that info.plist that I was talking about. And that info.plist contains uh, information about your app, contains, you know, the, the name of it, the version of it, all sorts of details, and also includes, uh, it, in El Capitan, the setting for uh, how you want to use or configure app transport security. Um, and so... The NS bundle um, class or API 
uh, allows you to programmatically inspect the contents of your info P list. Basically, like you can load them up and 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 read the settings out of it. Well, if you look at the documentation about that API, um, when you load the settings, it's read only. I mean, what program would ever want to change those settings? And it actually explicitly says in the documentation from Apple, this API, the, the results that you get from it are read-only. Well, it turns out <laughs> that with the PyObjective-C module, when you load up the info plist from NSBundle, you can actually write settings back to it. Now, they don't change the, the settings on the file themselves, but they change in memory. And so if you load the settings up, and change the value and then attempt to do network communications, it actually changed what OS X thought the settings were because the applications loaded up. For, for whatever reason, the bridge that PyObjective-C has to NS Bundle actually is read-write. It's not just read-only. And so we do a really nasty thing in there where, where we inject essentially an app transport security setting where we say it's excluded and mm -hmm. it works <laughs> it shouldn't work but it works and this uh was around the same time as we were worried about the rocket ship uh-huh uh there there was there was other <laughs> yeah you, you can you can set um the uh lsui element you can basically set it so that it's a faceless application you can do that you can do a lot of settings that way that you really, really shouldn't be able to. Uh, um, and uh, it, it, there are legitimate fixes, too. Um, I actually have a blog post on uh, the michaelin.github.io blog of mine that uh, shows how you can actually dynamically generate totally custom Python application bundles that have a cut... You know, you say rocket ship. If no one's ever seen it before... Whenever a Mac, or sorry, whenever a Python uh, PyObjective-C application does something that a graphical application would do, it causes an icon to load in the dock. And Apple gave it a rocket ship. It's it's a cute icon, but from anybody doing system administration, making that rocket ship accidentally appear in the dock is terrorizing because because your users are like. Why am I seeing a rocket ship? <laughs> where the hell is that from? Where did that come from? And so you want to make that hidden as much as possible. But uh, I have a whole blog post on how you can actually totally customize that look. You can customize the name that shows up in the dock, the icon that shows up in the dock, the, the menu bar name up at the top uh, from start to finish. And, and it, in much the same way, uh, it is possible to do exactly the same thing for Monkey. It would be 100% possible to ship essentially a custom Python bundle that does nothing more than put in the correct settings for overriding app transport security. Like we could do this the right way. <laughs> it's just, it, it, that's, that's one extra thing that's shipping with monkey that we're not shipping right now that, that it's just easier to have that little hack in there. <laughs> so if, an, if, if Apple breaks it, if Apple fixes it, let's say that, um, uh, it is totally possible to do it in a completely appropriate uh, uh, way. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's really fun in the meantime to do it the other way. 
But so they could have allowed a knob to say, hey, I should be exempted from this. I'm, I'm surprised hey, that they I didn't. I know as a developer. I, I'm surprised that they didn't because they sh- they're the one, Apple's the one that ships uh, OBJC module with Python. And Apple is the one that made the Python app bundle. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that made the info plist that doesn't contain the app transport security Option. override setting in it. They yeah. could definitely put that in there. Um, I don't know. People probably just haven't filed a radar request for it. I don't know how many. We could go into how much everyone loves Apple's radar. And then other people are kind of like, oh, I wish there was a public bug tracker for software company X. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. I'm I'm having such a great time with this one over here that <laughs> let's have a, and a very old thing uh, Nigel Kirsten was quoted as saying is, oh, we need another forum for Apple to ignore us in. That, was a, that would be a great idea. Good use of all of our time and energy. But we are coming to the end of 45 minutes. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you, Michael Lynn. And that squeak, squeak, squeak is going to be the absolute joy of Aaron Lippincott and myself to try to purge. Uh, that, 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 that's the one. That's what I'm talking about. Tiki? My bird? Yeah. That's your bird. Yeah. Your bird's name is? Tiki. Like, like a tiki torch. The tiki, tiki torch. room. Like, like the Walt Disney <laughs> Tiki room. <laughs> we didn't pick the name. He came with that. Okay. Thank you, Tiki. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Lynn. <laughs> and signing off. Thank you.